Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for another opportunity that you've given us to be together, to sing your praises, to exalt your Son, to glorify your name. And Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have to be in your word. And I do pray, Lord God, that you would prepare our hearts, that as we look into your word, we would see it for what it really is, your word, and that we would respond, allowing your word your powerful word to do its work in our lives. Lord, we ask you to bless your word as it goes out. We pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, who do you listen to? Whose words do you respect? You know, we all on varying levels listen to different people in different ways. Let me give you an example. If you respect our president, you probably listen to what he has to say. If you don't respect him, you probably don't listen to what he has to say. Think about the news you listen to. If you respect uh, those who are bringing it, you probably listen to what they have to say. If, if you don't, you probably don't listen to what they have to say. Well, what about on a personal level? We tend to pay attention and listen to those we respect, to those that we love, to those that we love. We give our ears uh, to those that we love, like our family. You know, if my kids want to come talk to me, they want to share something, I listen to them because I love them. You see, we tend to listen to those we love and those we respect. We tend to turn away those we don't love and respect. Now today, we're going to see that above all, we are to listen to the Word of God because it is just that. It is the Word of God. With that in mind, we're going to see today the written Word of God, what we need to know first and foremost to do well. Let's turn our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to be completing the chapter today, Lord willing. We're looking at verses 20 to 21. And we've been studying the book of Second Peter. And let me just share the context of this book before we get into our passage. Uh, we recognize that chapter 1 is, a larger, is part of a larger book, obviously, three chapters. And within that, in chapter 1, Simon Peter identifies himself as a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And these are his final words. Uh, we saw uh, the last time we were together that he knew his departure was imminent. The Lord Jesus had made it known to him. So Peter is writing his last letter. And who is Peter writing to? Uh, he's writing to believers, those who have a like faith as the apostles. You see, if you're a true believer, we all have the same faith, no matter who you are. Our faith is in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And he says here uh, that this is the second letter that he is writing. He's writing it not to believers, but he's writing it to the same group that he had written before, but it seems to expand. Second Peter 3 verse 1, this is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing you in which I am stirring you up by, stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. He is writing to the same group in Asia Minor he wrote before. They are believers, but he is writing in this context a second epistle, a second letter. And he has expanded on who it is to because it is to those who have a like faith uh, as theirs in Jesus Christ. Now this book is simply about growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's about a real relationship with Jesus Christ and threats to that relationship. Indeed, we see in the initial greeting the theme of the book, verse 2 of chapter 1. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 
seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. It's about a real relationship, not knowledge of simply the word of God, but knowledge of the God of the word. It's knowledge and it's a real relationship with the living God through faith as we see in Jesus Christ. We saw even in verse 8 of chapter 1 that if certain qualities in the context of faith were increasing and were ours, if it was an evidence that you're walking with the Lord, that you're increasing in the true knowledge of him. Verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it is about knowing Christ. And in the end of the book, in contrast to those who would lead believers astray to which we are warned, in contrast, Peter says, chapter 3, verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and the day of eternity. Amen. Again, this book is about growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is through, as Peter has made it clear, and we'll see this in a minute, it is through the word of God that we grow in our relationship with him. We have been granted his precious and magnificent promises. We are partakers of these tremendous truths, and thus we are partakers of of his character when we abide in Christ and trust in him and his work, his word is working in us. This letter is clearly a reminder of what believers should already know. And Peter says he considers it right to remind us of these things. We saw that he was faithful in doing the right thing, stirring them up by way of reminder so that they could call these things to mind after he had left. Peter is writing that we would remember the word of God, which God uses to grow us in a relationship with his son Jesus. He shares the most important thing. And in this book, he threads then through warnings to the most important thing, which is the truth of God, which reveals the God of the truth, and those who would pervert and twist and mock the truth of God, those threats to growth in Christ. So then these are Peter's last words in his second epistle, and it's very important. And it is a reminder concerning how we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and the threats to that growth in Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, turn your Bibles with me to First Peter, excuse me, Second Peter, chapter one, and we're going to be looking at verses twenty and twenty-one. I'm going to read those first, and then we'll back up and look at the context. Verse twenty. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Today we're going to see that we believers do well, we do beautifully by heeding the more sure written word of God, which we have as a light in this dark world. And we do well understanding primarily and first and foremost that it is the word of God and not the word of men. It is only until we see God's word rightly and we see him rightly that we will respond rightly to his word. You see, if you have a problem with the word of God, as we will see, you have a problem with your view of God. Whether it's not a relationship with him or whether it's a lack of respect, whether your own uh, self has gotten in the way. It is when we see the God of the word rightly that we respect the word of God and when we understand that it's his word. 
Now, do you remember what we've seen so far? Back up a little bit, and as we've read already in verse 2 of chapter 1, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's what Peter says, that grace would be multiplied and peace, the result, that you would function more and more by the grace of God in the context of your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what God wants for us. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. God has given us everything we need pertaining to the Christian life, this life and godliness, through a true relationship where we know the Lord, we're walking with him. And how is that brought forth? He says, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. By his word, we partake of the character and nature of God. We don't become God, but we become like God. As God in us manifests his character in us. And if we are true believers, we recognize the reality of how God works in our lives through his word. And then Peter said, as we saw, as we looked through this passage, that there are some qualities that if we're true believers should be increasing in, that the word of God should be working out in our lives. We are to uh, work out the salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in us. And notice verse 5. He says, Now for this very reason, applying all diligence, that means being diligent, which is a word that's not used these days in our society, is it? Being diligent in your faith, that's the context, it's all by faith in Jesus, supply or bring forth moral excellence. There should be a moral change in our lives, it should be there. And we should be functioning that way on a daily basis based on the word of God and by faith in Christ. And he says, in your moral excellent knowledge, we should be growing in the knowledge of our Lord. And in your knowledge, self-control, day after day, more and more, we should be saying no to those things of the flesh, those desires, and saying yes to allowing God to work through us. Self-control. If you're a true believer, that's a fruit of the Spirit. This should be happening in your life. And he says, perseverance. We should be remaining under those difficulties, trusting the Lord, allowing him to work through those things. You see, the testing of our faith produces what? Perseverance, right? And then it's results that would be complete, lacking in nothing. And in your perseverance, godliness, there should be a change in our relationship of how you respond to the Lord. We should be more reverent, more aware, more focused on the living God. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness, that's brotherly love, there should be a love for one another. It should be there. It should be there. And in your brotherly kindness, love, obviously a love for God and thus his people. You see, these qualities should be in us. And notice what he says. For if these qualities are yours, every single one, not a few of them, every single one, believer, and are increasing, these things should be in us and increasing. He says, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, a believer could be useless and unfruitful in their relationship with Jesus if God's word is not working out on a practical basis in their daily lives. Not simply head knowledge of verses and Bible studies, but the real-time reality of God working in our heart to bring about these things, love, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, all this stuff in your life, in your life. 
He says, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, nearsighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. You lack these things. You've forgotten why God saved you. He saved you to make you like Jesus, to weed out sin in your life, to grow these qualities in us that we would reflect the nature of his son, Jesus Christ. Verse 10, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain of his calling and choosing. Make sure you're saved. Make sure this reflection of a real relationship with Jesus is yours. Calling and choosing. As long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. He's going to talk about eternally stumbling. For in this way, entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will abundantly be supplied to you. If you're a true believer by faith, working out the life of Christ, you're on your way to glory. But if that's not happening, maybe you're short-sighted, or maybe you've never been saved. And notice what he says here. Therefore, verse 10, be all the more diligent. Excuse me, it's not verse 10, but verse 12. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things. I'm going to say them over and over again. Even though you already know them. Believers, we know this. If you're a true believer, you know these truths. He says, even though you are, even though you already know them and having been established in the truth which is present in you, and I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside, Peter writes, of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that after any, at any time after my departure, you may be able to call these things to mind. Peter was a faithful servant to the point of his death serving the Lord that we would be able to call these things to mind, to mind. And then remember what we saw in our last time together. Look at verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses to his majesty. He's going to bring up the, 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 the transfiguration where Peter, James, and John saw the Lord in his glory with Moses and Elijah. He's going to say, hey, we're not like those bad guys who make up stories religiously. We actually had an experience. We saw the Lord in his glory. But notice what he says. For when he received glory and honor, verse 17 from the Father, such an utterance was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. And you look at verse 18. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. We had the experience above all experiences, and it's a true religious experience. But in a, in a subtle contrast, we have something so much more than that. You notice what he says. And so we have... The prophetic word made more sure to which you do well or do beautifully to take heed or to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. We had this experience, but we have the prophetic word made more sure. We have the word of God, which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the morning star Christ rises in our hearts, till we are glorified and with him and like him forever. And then our passage. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Tremendous reality. 
He's speaking here of the Word of God, as we're going to see. He has shared that we need to be heeding the Word of God. We need to be those who are listening and paying attention to the Word of God. We do well to heed the Word of God. We do beautifully. The term do well speaks of a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing when believers heed the Word of God in the context of faith in Jesus, a real relationship. Now, there are many people who pay attention to the Word of God, but they don't heed it. They don't heed it. Proverbs 13, 13, The one who despises the Word will be in debt to it, but the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. Proverbs 28, verse 9, He who turns his ear away from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. People listen, but they don't listen. If you've had kids, you've probably recognized there are times where you're talking to your child. You say, are you listening to me? They're, they're listening, but they're not listening, right? And that's an evidence of not agreeing or disrespecting or not honoring or having an issue, right? When someone listens but doesn't listen, there's an issue in that relationship, right? You see, he who turns his ear away from listening to the law, even his prayer is abomination. But the word of God is our spiritual food. The Lord Jesus, when he was tempted, Matthew 4, verse 3, And the tempters came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. A quote from Deuteronomy. We live on the word of God. It is our spiritual food. And we do well to pay attention. You see, when we pay attention to the word of God, it beautifies us. Proverbs chapter 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Verse 7, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Verse 8, hear my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. When we are allowing the word of God to control our interactions and our actions in a relationship with Jesus by faith, it is a beautiful thing. You know how ugly it is when the word of God is taken out of context and and forced in situations versus God working through someone, through his word, in relationships. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. We do well to heed his word. And the last time we were together, I shared a few passages concerning the heeding of the word, and I want to share them again because it really keys off what we're going to look at today in terms of our understanding of where that word comes from to which we are to heed. Jeremiah thirteen fifteen. Listen and give heed. Do not be haughty, for the Lord has spoken. You see, when we're prideful, we, want, we don't want to listen. We think we know it, right? Don't be haughty. Proverbs 8.32, Now therefore, sons, O listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways. Proverbs 8.32, Heed my instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Heed it, listen, turn your attention to it. Have a desire to hear what God says. Blessed is the man who listens to me, who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorpost, for he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me injures himself, and those who hate me love death. Zechariah chapter 1, speaking of the Israelites who went into bondage, the Lord says, But they did not listen or give heed to me. But they did not, they, they did not my words 
or statutes, they did not listen or give heed to me. Revelation chapter 1, blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed, heed, right? Are you doing well? Are you doing beautifully in your relationship with Jesus? Are you trusting Jesus? Are you heeding his word? Or are there areas where you're unwilling to listen, to listen to what he has to say to you? Some of you might be paying attention to myths and stories and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. Paying attention to experience. It's time to confess those things and be set free from your bondage and heed the word of God. Yes, these apostles, Peter, the premium one in this group of three, the one who was the leader in a sense, de facto, they had an experience that they could have said, wow, we can rely on this experience. They said no. And so we have instead the prophetic word made more sure. It is more sure to which you do well to pay attention. Have you relied on anything in your Christian life other than the word of God from the God of the word? False or true experience, whatever it might be, confess those things and be forgiven. We rely on Christ. We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. And sometimes we are tempted to walk by sight. In the end of Paul's life, 2 Timothy, and in Peter's letter here, we see at the end of his life, they make a point that the inspired word of God is sufficient for our walk with Christ. And remember, we saw that the word is a, is a light to our path. Verse 19, and we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We are blind apart from God, illumining with his word uh, for our life and our walk. We need to bind the word around our hearts. When you walk about, they will guide you. When they sleep, you will watch over you. When you wake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light. And reproofs for discipline are the way of life. God's word illumines our path. And it is through God's word that we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. First Peter chapter 2. We grow in respect to salvation through the, through the word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 13. God's word performs its work in those who believe. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, beloved brethren of the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. That's how God does it. That's how God does it. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now we don't want to be like the Pharisees who idolized the word and they didn't obey the Lord. They listened to the word, they they had it, but they didn't obey it. They didn't obey it because their hearts were not right. What the word did for them was elevate pride in their lives as they did things externally rather than being humbled and recognizing they were sinners in need of a Savior who would change their life and bring about changes on a daily basis if they trusted him. The opposite happened. But it is a light for us in a dark world to which we do well by heeding. 
And that leads us to our passage, because from that portion in which we are to pay heed to the Word of God as believers, we see very clearly the value of God's Word because of where it came from. It came from the living God Himself. Turn with me again to First Peter chapter, Second Peter chapter, chapter one, and here's our passage, verse twenty. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Now in the NESB we have in the beginning of verse 20 a conjunction that the word but and I often prefer the NESB but I don't think this translation is the best when compared to the original language. Instead, verse 20 begins with what's called a participial phrase. What do I mean by that? Literally translate it this you could literally translate it this way. Knowing this first. Knowing this first. Now, the translators for the NESB put the conjunction there because they want to connect it, and that's right. But I think I prefer the, the participle the way it is, way it is the King, New King James translates it. Knowing this first, or, or first of all, a first of all, which means this does not stand on its own. Verse 20 does not stand on its own. It doesn't stand on its own. Knowing this, gnosko, knowing this First of all, and what is, it, what is it connected to? Well, the main verb here is, and so we have the prophetic word made more sure. That's the main phrase. We have the prophetic word made more sure, and then another phrase, to which you do well to heed, knowing this. You see what I'm saying? We have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you need to heed, knowing this. Heed it, knowing something. Knowing something. Heed it, knowing something, primarily above all things. And so we have the prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention, knowing this first of all. So with this in mind, what is it that we are to know first of all? What does the author, inspired by the Spirit, want us to know? What does God want us to know primarily above all, which will help us in the context of heeding God's word? which we have made more sure. Look at our passage. But know first of all, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Now this sounds like a really easy verse to say and talk about, but it isn't. This is a very difficult verse. And I have struggled over this passage for about a month and a half. As I've been studying it, Lord, what is your intended meaning? What do you mean here? Because there are differing interpretations for this passage. There are differing interpretations. There are basically three common interpretations. I'm going to share those. I'm going to go and then share what I believe I think it's saying. The first interpretation is such that the written word, the written word, no prophecy of scripture, is a matter of one's own interpretation. It is not up to man to bring about what the meaning is. The term interpretation means meaning. What does it mean? It is not up to man to bring up the meaning of this. Why? Verse 21, for it came from God, not man. 
Okay? Now, many translations translate it this way. You see that that's what they're aiming towards in their translation. Second common interpretation. The written word did not come about or originate from man's own interpretation. For it came from God, not man. We're going to see that's possible too. The first two interpretations here are actually both true, but which one is from there? I'm going to talk about that. The third interpretation is one that the Catholic Church has used for years to keep parishioners from interpreting the Bible on their own apart from the Catholic Church. They use this as a proof text to say, you can't understand it on your own. You need the church to help you understand it. Therefore, you should not be reading your Bible, basically is what they're implying. We need to share that with you because we have the interpretation. Now, I know that's not true. I know that interpretation is not true because we see many other passages that it falls on its heels. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for these things, for every good work, for, for the godly man, right? Not for the church to bring forth, but for God's word to work in our hearts. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we have the things freely revealed to us. Not the church, but to us. But to us. And the explanation also in verse 21 leaves out the Catholic Church there. It says, for, and it has nothing to do with the Catholic Church, it has to do with God's, God's Word. So I believe that third interpretation is absolutely incorrect based on other passages, and we're going to see that today. So in light of that, which interpretation of 20 is what God intended? Is it that, first of all, primarily, no written word, prophecy of Scripture, is a matter of one's One's a, is, is up to anyone to interpret on their own in terms of what they think it means. Or is it saying specifically that the written word did not come about from one's interpretation? Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. So what we need to know, first of all, is that we do well to pay attention because of something, knowing this. What is it that we need to know? Because we know something. He's assuming you already know it. You already know this continually, habitually. Brothers and sisters, you do well to heed the word of God, knowing this truth. Knowing this truth. Continually, habitually. Well, what is it that we know primarily, above all? Primarily, first of all. But know this first of all. What is it that we know? Well, the scripture, as I read it, in the NSB says that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. And again, this is a difficult portion, but I'm going to share some work and we'll come together and hopefully get an understanding of it as we look at these pieces. The simple meaning of this passage is not hard to understand, no matter what we talk about here. It's that God wrote his word and it's his word. That's the simple meaning. Don't get away from that. That's the most important thing. Okay? But notice what he says here. We have a continual habitual knowledge that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Then there's an explanation. Verse 21. So with this in mind, let me share some pieces here that I studied and help me understand what I think it means here. First of all, the phrase prophecy of Scripture in verse 20. We have this term prophecy. Prophecy speaks of that which comes forth. It is God's word that came forth, as we're going to see, through man. And the term scripture, graphe, speaks of the written word. No prophecy in the written word, prophecy of scripture, is a matter of one's own interpretation. 
What I find interesting as I observe this passage is verse 20 says prophecy of scripture. Verse 20 only says, 21 says prophecy. Why does it not say prophecy of scripture? Remember that, okay? That's going to be helpful interpreting. And then we see this term one's own. Look at this here. No prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. That term is a very distinct Greek word which spoke of that which belongs to a particular person. You could have, uh, it's actually sometimes translated private, belonging to an individual or person. It could speak of one's own family, one's own possession, one's own anything. It is theirs. That's the emphasis. That's the emphasis, okay? Yet here it is linked to this term interpretation. One's own interpretation. Now there's a lot that's been said about this word interpretation. The term interpretation on its, on a, you know, if you look it up in a dictionary, speaks of bringing forth the meaning of something. Right? Bringing forth the meaning. And we're going to see there's a difference between declaration, which prophets did, and actually bringing forth the meaning, which is interpretation. That's important. This term interpretation is... Uh, some people have said it's not the best translation here. And yet I believe it's the best. And you'll look at almost every version they put in the term interpretation because I think they see it also as the best translation. It comes from the Greek word epilusis, epion, luso, to untie. It means to release, which we get the idea. If I'm interpreting something, I'm releasing the meaning, right? There's something that's being spoken, I'm not sure of the meaning. When it is interpreted, it is released. So I believe it's the best translation here, interpretation, even though some say it's not. Okay? Now there's another issue in this passage. You could tell I was busy the last month and a half. The verb translated is, in the NASB and the New King James, actually comes from the Greek verb ginomai. What does that mean? The verb speaks of often origin. To come about, to become, to happen. It has that sense of something coming about or happening or becoming. That puts another monkey wrench into this. And this has led many to believe the second interpretation I mentioned earlier, that since we have the prophetic word to do more sure, which we do well to heed, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of the written word came about, was originated from one's own interpretation. That's the second uh, portion here. Because it's God's word, not man's, verse 21. That's true. But I'm hung up here because of the word interpretation. Prophets didn't share interpretations. They shared God's word. They declared it, and people interpret God's word. That's where I'm hung up on that. And that's where I just couldn't, like, Lord, I just can't say I agree with this if I can't agree with it. Let's take a little more look at it. So basically, what would be said in that second interpretation is that no prophecy of the written word came about by one's interpretation or explanation. The point is, as we're going to see in verse 21, which is true, that nobody came along and thought up what God should say and then brought it forth. That is absolutely true. No one has done that. But is that what this is saying? We know it's true. We know it's true. Let's take a look here. 
Now, although I'm not sure, and I don't, and I'm not going to tell you exactly what I think, I'm going to share what I what I think it might be. I think it could be saying we must know first of all that all Scripture is not subject to one's interpretation or, or explanation. All Scripture is not subject to one bringing forth, originating their own interpretations. I don't believe that's the case. I don't believe that. I believe that's possibly what it's saying. Why? Because it didn't come from man, but from God. You can't just come to the Word of God and say it means anything you want. Because it's not man's Word, it's God's Word. And this is the problem I have here that helped me kind of move to this, is the word interpretation. If he had said that the written Word is not a matter of one's own declaration, I would say yeah. But here he says interpretation. Why? Because it didn't come from man, but from God. This Greek word speaks of origin, and so this is my translation, which I think might be helpful. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture becomes one's own personal interpretation. No Scripture that is written becomes one's own personal, one's own, mine, I own it, interpretation. Why? For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Spirit spoke from God. We have the Spirit-inspired Word, and it is the Spirit of God, which we will see in other passages, that interprets and illumines the Word of God. Peter here is speaking of completed prophecy written. And then he goes back to speak of prophecy itself. He doesn't say of Scripture. For... No prophecy, speaking of all those prophecies in the Old Testament, where God spoke forth through man, some was recorded, some wasn't. For none of that came by man's will, but by God. If God's word is from his mouth, and it never was brought forth by an act of human will, then man has no right to say what it means, because it's God's word. It's what he intended. So look at verse 21. Notice this. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. No prophecy. Not just prophecy of the written word, which was completed at that time, being completed. And this word made actually comes from the Greek word pharaoh, which means to carry or to bear forth. No prophecy, nothing that God spoke through man actually was carried by an act of human will. Never ever did man decide to say something and say it for God. God spoke through man. He carried them along, as we will see, by his Holy Spirit. Now the term translated will here speaks of one's desire or the result of one, what one has decided. It is also modified by the term anthropos, which speaks of man. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture becomes a matter of one's own interpretation. That's a good way to translate it. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of one's, or by an act of human will. You see, what God brought forth through human beings was never carried forth by human desire. Not one single word. And those who don't know God, don't believe in God, those who uh, are, are, are say they do but are liars, 
will say, well, the, the writer here was feeling this way, so he said it this way. The reality is God used circumstances and events, but he brought his word through them, not by their own desire or will. It is God's word, not from men. That's why we do well to pay heed. We better listen because it's God's word and not man's word. We better not reinterpret it because it's God's word and not man's word. It is not up for grabs what God meant. God had a meaning in what he said. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Or you could say it this way, but know this first of all, that no prophecy becomes a matter of one's own interpretation. It doesn't become that. Because no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But notice the, the contrast here. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. In the middle of verse 21, we have a conjunction, which is a Greek word, Allah, which means but rather, instead. The meaning of God's word is not for grabs because it was never, ever carried forth by man, by man's will or desire, but rather in contrast, but men, end of verse 21, Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Here we have the incredible reality of how God brought forth his word through human beings. Not one bit of it came from the desire of the human being. It completely came and was, they were carried along. The word brought forth speaks of being carried along. The Holy Spirit carried them along and they spoke from God. Look at that. But men moved or carried along Pharaoh by the by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. You see, God used his spirit to bring forth his word. People just didn't independently say, God said this. God used his spirit to move men to speak his word. This is what we call inspiration. It is God-breathed by his spirit through his spokesman. Every bit is from his mouth. Every bit. It is not from man. It is from God. Therefore, you better heed it. That's the point. Therefore, you better listen because it's from God. You better listen to what God has to say in his word. It's not up to you to decide what it means. You better listen. Let me share some passages specifically where... Uh, God reveals in his word that it, his word came from him. Turn to Jeremiah uh, chapter 23 to start with, and God is comparing the bad guys versus the true guys. And he's going to say, the bad guys do this stuff, but this is what the, they should have done if they were my guys. Okay? Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 21. And I, I wish I could read the whole portion because there's so much here, but let me read this portion. Verse 21, I did not send these prophets. By the way, the, the, the condition in Israel was they're in sin. God had been sending his faithful prophets to tell them to repent. They hadn't repented. And there were a group of bad prophets saying, you're okay, peace and safety. God's not upset with you. All right? But he was. Uh, I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not, what? Speak to them. See that? But they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have what? 
announced my words. It's God's word, not their word, right? Right? And my words to my people would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far, not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have been saying, who prophesy falsely in my name, saying, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long is there anything, how long is there anything in their hearts, the prophets who prophesy falsehood? Even these prophets of the, even these prophets of the deception of their own heart? You see, they're doing it from their own heart. That's not God's word. God's word never came about from an act of human will. Who intended to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which they relate to one another, just as their fathers forgot my name because of Baal? The prophet who has a dream may relate his dream, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. Let those false prophets say their stuff, but if you have his word, speak his word. You see that? What does the straw have in common with grain, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer that shatters a rock? Therefore, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord. Another amazing Old Testament passage, turn to Zechariah chapter 7. Speaking of the stubborn Israelites that wouldn't believe the word of God. Zechariah chapter 7, verse 11. And here we see that the prophets were sharing forth very clearly that the Spirit of God is what brought forth the Word of God, by the way. The Spirit brought forth the Word of God. Zechariah 7.11 But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stooped their ears from hearing. That's speaking of God's Word they were turning away from, by the way. And they made their hearts like flint. Zechariah 7.12 so that they could not hear the words of the Lord of hosts, which he had sent by the Holy Spirit through the former prophets. God, by his Spirit, sent forth his word to the prophets. No prophecy of Scripture was ever made, or was ever became an act of human will, but men moved by, no prophecy ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Spirit spoke from God. What about 2 Samuel? Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 23. David understood when he was speaking God's word, it was God's word, that it was by his spirit. David knew it. 2 Samuel 23. David, a man after God's own heart. He messed up and he suffered greatly, but he's still a man after God's own heart. Good man. Good man in the Lord. 2 Samuel 23, verse 1. Now these are the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, declares... And the man who raised, was raised on high declares, the anointed of God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. Look at verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord spoke to me, spoke by me, excuse me, and his word was on my tongue. The Spirit brought forth God's word through men. It was not by men. David understands that. The God of Israel said, now he said it through David by his Spirit, right? The rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men righteously, who rules in the fear of God. Look at the Acts chapter 4. And there's other places in this. There's that in chapter 1 you'll find it also. But in Acts chapter 4, the Jews who believed on the day of Pentecost understood 
that it was the Spirit of God that spoke through men. It is not up for grabs, the Word of God. It is the Word of God. Therefore, better heed it. Men didn't figure it out. Bring it forth. God brought it forth. Acts chapter 4, verse 24. And when they heard this, they lifted up their voices to God with one accord, saying, O Lord, we're praying now, it is thou who dost make heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David's servant did say, we know this, first of all, through a believer, God spoke through his spirit by his word by his spirit, right? And these believers on Pentecost say, who by the Spirit through the mouth of our father David did us say, and he's going to actually quote Psalm 2, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of earth took their stand and rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. They understood that your spirit through the mouth of David brought forth the word of God. We know 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God. Literally, God breathed. It is God breathed. Theonoustos, it is God breathed. All scripture. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, turn there. You see, because if you're a true believer, you accept the word of God. You know this first of all, therefore you better heed it. We need to be reminded, right? You know, God's word is not a suggestion to us. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. You know, as I look in Scripture, people who really got saved, you could tell they got saved. And actually, Paul praises God for that. There was evidence. There was a change. There was evidence. Second, 1 Thessalonians, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive from us the word of God's message, you know, it's God's message, you accepted it, not as the word of men. That's what we're talking about in our passage, right? But for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. All scripture is breathed out by God. Therefore, we better heed it. God is speaking to us through his word, and he did it through men by his spirit. But it was of not of any of their own will or desire that it came forth. It was all God. Our passage is saying that no prophecy ever came about by an act of human will, but men moved or carried along by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. God brought forth his word by his spirit through his spokesman. Every bit is from him, therefore we need to pay attention. And brothers and sisters, if you don't believe God's word is from God, then maybe you don't know the Lord. Let me share a couple passages. Turn to John chapter 10. You see, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, genuine faith, you receive the Spirit of God and the ability to now understand His Word. It's written on our hearts. John chapter 10, verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my... The, the works that I do in my Father's name, these bear witness of me. Verse 26. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. If you're a true believer, 
you hear his voice. When I share the word of God to you, you're not saying, oh, that's Greg. When you hear the word of God, you hear that, you go, that's God's word. God brought it forth. God brought it forth. Look at 1 John chapter 4, 1 John 4. When someone says, hey, I believe this, but I don't believe what Paul says. I like what Jesus says. I don't. You know what? I'm sorry they're not saved. Share the gospel. Don't argue with them. Love them. Share the gospel. They need a savior. They need a savior. Don't argue about creation. Don't argue about evolution. Share their need of a savior. Jesus, who died for their sins, they need a savior. And once they become saved, they're going to have the spirit of God, and they're going to go, oh, I believe it. You see? Don't waste your time arguing. Share the gospel. 1 John 4. Verse 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Now, the context is false prophets going into the world. They're the bad guys. You're the, you're the good guys. You're from God. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. The world listens to bad guys, right? You know, an evildoer listens to wicked lips, by the way. That's in Proverbs, right? Okay? And then he says here, we, speaking of the apostles, are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. If you don't listen, believe the truth, you're not from God. But you can be, because Jesus Christ died to save sinners, to which we all are. So what's one of the major implications? Let's look back at our passage in uh, chapter 1 of Second Peter, verse 20. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Know this first of all, no prophecy of Scripture becomes, becomes on a continual basis a matter of someone to interpret. That's another evidence there that's more about the interpretation rather than having brought forth. Not became in, an, in a one time, but becomes. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Since God's word is not from man, it's not up to you to figure out what it is. God had an intended meaning, and he illumines that by his spirit. Turn to our last passage I want to share to 2 Corinthians, where we see that all believers have the spirit of God and have the ability to understand the things freely given to us by God. You see, when you trust in Jesus Christ, if you truly have, you receive the spirit of God. Now, if you're in sin, your heart is hard. You've got to confess that. If you're not humbly coming to the Word of God, or you're coming in a haughty manner. Look at uh, what the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians. And the context here is they're boasting about this man and that guy and this stuff and that stuff. And Paul's making a case that if you boast, boast in the Lord. Look at, and he gives his example of how he came to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but the power of God. That should be class number one for all preachers in seminary. Okay? Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak what? God's 
wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age, which which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which I have not seen, ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man. God's word never came about from man. We never could have imagined what he would have said. It never came about in our heart. Okay? He says here, he says here, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Speaking in context of his word. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. Right? God revealed his word to us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, notice this, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. If you have the Spirit of God, you can know what God has said. You see, we've received the Spirit that we might know those things. And notice what he says, not in words, not, he says, which we all things we also speak. Not words taught with human wisdom, but those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. But a natural man, that's an unbeliever, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual praises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have those things which have never entered into the heart of man, which were never heard, never thought of. God revealed them to us by his spirit. Therefore, we need to listen. We need to pay attention. You see, I began talking about the reality that we listen to those whom we respect. We listen to those in whom we love. And we are to heed the word of God and do well by paying attention. And our passage is completely about the fact that this is from God and not from man. So I want to ask you, is there any area where you've been listening to other voices? You've been listening to things that are not from God? Not allowing his word to illumine your heart and your life? All throughout the Christian church, there's all kinds of counseling and stuff and things that people come for their life, Christian life, that doesn't line up with the word of God? We've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. It doesn't mean a counselor can't use the word of God. Praise the Lord if they do. But it's God's word that we do well to heed. We listen to those whom we respect. We listen to those whom we love. Are you listening to God's word? If you're not, I would posit to you, maybe you don't have a relationship with the Lord. And if you do, maybe you don't love him and respect him the way that you should. There's sin in the way. You can just confess and God will forgive you. You can humble yourself and say, Lord, I've been stubborn. I've been foolish. I haven't heeded your word. Lord, I'm sorry. I I confess that. You'll be forgiven. You'll be set free. And then heed his word. Do well to pay attention because it's God's word and not man's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that we would do well. We would do beautifully. 
that we would pay attention to what you have shared. You've given us everything we need for life and godliness. That we would apply, not externally, not in our memory banks only, but we would apply in our hearts your word to our lives. That we would excel in those things that are of your son. We would become more like Jesus. That we would trust you all the more. That we would listen to you all the more. That our first inkling in every situation in life is to hear what you have to say about it rather than others. What does your word say, Lord God, about this? I pray for that. So I thank you, Lord God, for your kindness to us and giving us your son Jesus and giving us your word. And it is in his name we pray.